0: Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, as we conclude our series on 1 Corinthians today, open our hearts to see what you want us to see. Hear, let us hear what you want us to hear today and enable me to speak clearly and with love. And I ask that we would each be empowered to live the lives that you call us to. And I pray this in the name of your mighty son. Amen. Well, we have made it. or well, almost after today. We've uh, got to the end of our 1 Corinthians series. And we've been on this journey since July, I recall. I wonder how you found it. Um, I, I imagine for some of you it's been really encouraging, perhaps energizing, maybe challenging, perhaps just tough. I, I imagine probably for most of us it's a combination of all those different things. Well, we've called this last sermon Real People, Real Church. Uh, because after spending all these weeks delving through the ups and downs and all this great theological stuff, I feel like maybe we could forget that 1 Corinthians was actually a letter that was written to a real church that existed in a real period of history, in a real geographical place with real people. And all these people, they, they, were, they were real people who were wrestling with what it meant to live differently as Christ's holy people in the world. You know, these people all had names. Most of them will never know. They had families, they had social lives, they had worries about their work. They were real people. And just like these Corinthians, Christ calls us at Deep Creek to live differently in the world and with one another. And we too have the Spirit empowering us as we go about this task. Uh, And so as we've each been wrestling with this series and how God is calling us to live, both individually and as a group, like, it's not just all theoretical, abstract stuff, is it? Um, like, it, this, this impacts us. This, this affects the way that we live. We too are real people in a real church. And what I do love about 1 Corinthians, and hopefully you love this too, is that Paul, he consistently matches his deep theological teaching of the gospel, of the church, the ministry of the spirits, with how this should all actually affect and impact our daily living and so then we shouldn't be surprised that that one corinthians as a book as a letter it concludes with a glorious chapter chapter 15 on the amazing depths of the resurrection and what that means for us our hope now and our hope for the future and in amongst all that glorious stuff we go on to chapter 16 and now about the collection for the Lord's people. You know, it's, it's, it's just so practical down-to-earth stuff as well. Like it's 1 Corinthians is a book which just meshes all these wonderful theological gospel truths lived out in practical life. And so then we get this chapter that talks about money and, and travel plans and people and things like this. You know, this is a letter for real people. And given that it's such a, um, such a collection of stuff in this chapter, I was trying to work out, oh man, like, I can't like, think of like a nice, neat, packaged way to put this together. And so the best I could do with you is, uh, is I've been watching a lot of children's TV lately uh, because I, I am a parent. Uh, and so today's chapter is brought, brought to you by the letter F. <laughs> Thanks, Sesame Street. 1 Corinthians 16 is brought to you today by the letter F. And in particular... Finances, future, family, and fortification. So I want us to look at each of these in turn. So first, finances. What we do with our money. And particularly what we do with our money that we, or how we should think about giving money to the church and to ministry. Now the Bible actually has quite a lot to say about this topic. Jesus speaks about it. Paul himself writes two whole chapters in the next letter to the Corinthians. But I do want to draw out four uh, principles that we find in these verses. See, uh, according to Paul, our giving, it should be normal, intentional, proportional, and transparent. So first of all, normal. Our giving should be normal. Now, we often joke, I don't know, there seems to be this reputation that the church is just always asking people for money. I don't know if you feel that or not. And perhaps it's not that far from the truth sometimes. But according to Paul, um, Christians' giving is actually something that should be really normal for us. It should be pretty normal. And and he tells the Corinthians in verse 1 to do what he told the Galatian churches to do. Uh, and so this is not just one particular church with a particular thing. Actually, there's this idea that it's normative for Christians to be involved with giving. And it's, and it's one of the reasons why we always talk about giving in our, in our notices. Uh, it's, it's, it's a way that we want to honour the, the daily sacrifices that many of you make uh, in giving generously to the work and the mission of this church. But it's also because it is normal for Christians. We want to make sure that we continue to have this generosity, giving kind of language as part of our DNA as a church, because that's what we're called to do. It is normal for Christians to give. But our giving should also be intentional. In verse 2, Paul says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, in the first century, it was far more common for, uh, for people's work hours to vary a lot uh, week to week. And I know some of you are self-employed. You would know what this is like too. Uh, and so Paul says at the start of each week, look back on how your week went and intentionally set aside some of that as a gift. You know, it might be a lot, It might be a little bit. But either way, set it apart for that purpose. And the reason why this is important here is because when Paul comes along to visit them, and that's what his plan is, he's planning to visit them, when he comes along, he doesn't want people to feel coerced or emotionally manipulated into giving on the spot, in the moment. You know, Paul wants to avoid this kind of pressure associated with Christian giving uh, because when we get guilted or, or manipulated in, into making financial decisions, at least I find, my heart is rarely in the right place. And our heart is actually really important. Uh, in that second letter of to the Corinthian church in those two chapters, Uh, Paul mentions this verse, which um, hopefully is familiar for quite a few of us. He says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Christian giving is supposed to be intentional and prayerfully thought out. And so maybe... Without the pressure of saying, you know, we need to do something right here. Maybe God is inviting you to to think about what might generous, what might a generous lifestyle look like for me. Another important thing to to keep in mind is that it's proportional. Uh, we are to regularly set aside a, a sum of money in keeping with our income. Uh, and so what that means then is that that my giving, your giving, your giving, that's all going to look different. And that's okay. That's okay. And what is really interesting is that you look across the New Testament, and as far as I can tell, uh, we don't find a single percentage or proportion laid out for us that is required for Christians to give. Uh, That might be surprising to you. And I think the reason for that is that I believe God wants to foster in you and me a spirit of cheerful generosity, that is unique to you and your situation. Uh, And so I invite you to come before him and and prayerfully discern and hear the Spirit prompting you about what a generous lifestyle might look like for you at this stage of your life. And finally, our giving is supposed to be transparent. Now, I was thinking. When when I say transparent, I I don't mean like you should announce, like it's like I'm going. See everybody, I'm going to give five dollars to the church. Like that's 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 not what I mean. That's not what I mean. And in fact, Jesus actually says in the Gospels, don't do that. Don't announce it with trumpets. Don't do that. What I mean is that the way that we handle money, and particularly the way that we handle money that has been given by others. Needs to be done transparently and honestly. Uh, Paul says, "Now about the collection for the Lord's people. When I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men that you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Notice how Paul he states the recipients of their gift the believers in Jerusalem. He mentions how the gift will be processed or identified you know, with the appropriate paperwork personally signed by Paul. And even the procedure of actually getting that gift all across the ocean back to Jerusalem. The Corinthians are to nominate trusted people, and they will escort it themselves. And Paul is even prepared to go with them to make sure that that happens transparently and with integrity. Well, today our annual reports are available, as I mentioned before, and part of the reason why we do them um, is so that we can be transparent and accountable with not only the ministries and things that are going on in our church, uh, but also how we are are using your generous giving uh, in order to to, um, fund the different ministries, so what money we receive, what money we give away, all those different things. Now, I always find it exciting to read through an annual report um, because it, it gives me a snapshot of all the wonderful things that are going on in the life of a church that maybe I personally haven't been able to be a part of. And it's just wonderful. There's just so many things, and all of that is supported and enabled by uh, your ongoing generous giving, both financially and, of course, your time as well. Both individually and as a church, these verses call us to be normal, intentional, proportional, and transparent with our giving. So that's finances. Let's pivot to talk about something totally different, the future. Uh, And just like our finances, it shouldn't surprise us to see that even something as seemingly ordinary or mundane as like working out what you're going to be doing next week or what your next holiday might look like, all these things, our future plans, should be shaped by our faith. Uh, in, in these verses, Paul, he briefly lays out his, uh, his hopes and his travel plans. And he, he does hope to visit the Corinthians soon. But I don't know if you noticed this as Tony was reading it out, but uh, he qualifies all of this by saying, If the Lord permits... And in fact, his travel plans have already been delayed or changed or postponed because a great door for effective work has opened up to him. I will do this if the Lord permits. I will stay here longer than planned because a door for effective work has opened up to me. See, Paul's attitude towards the future is one that honestly says, I'm going to plan where I should go, but ultimately you, Lord, can and should interrupt that plan whenever you want, however you want. And God can and does open doors for us too. Whatever plans we might make for the future, God wants us to be prepared and even expecting Uh, his spirit to be at work to lovingly guide us to where he wants us to go I came across uh, this wonderful phrase um, we should plan with the expectation of divine interruptions divine interruptions one particular uh, person describes their attitude towards the future and, and I really hope that this would be my attitude as well Uh, He says to God, this is the way that the day is mapped out or the week is supposed to go, but you, Lord, can interrupt it as much as you want whenever you want. I wonder if you've ever experienced a divine interruption. I was speaking to someone at the 8 o'clock service and they said, you know what, it actually happened just, just this week. I know I have. And in fact, uh, a divine interruption actually led me and my family to be here at Deep Creek. Uh, a bit over three years ago, uh, me and a few of my classmates at Ridley, uh, we were invited to be part of um, a, a week long kind of mission thing within some west church, churches, Anglican churches in the western suburbs. Uh, and so each of us, we had a whole bunch of different things to do, to do during the week, like helping out with food banks and some prayer ministry and uh, some youth groups and other bits and pieces. And one of the things that uh, happened as well is that each of us was randomly allocated to preach on that particular Sunday. Uh, and most of the Anglican churches are in that area, they were all working their way through a, a common set of readings, uh, and so we all were basically getting down and preparing a sermon on Luke chapter 8. And I was, on, I was um, preparing for a particular church in Williamstown. Anyway, so, so the Monday came around uh, with six days out, and I got an unexpected call from, uh, from the bishop saying, Ben, there's been an uh, uh, unexpected change of plans. Uh, you're now going to be preaching at a church called Red Door Church in Caroline Springs. Um, some of you may have heard of Red Door Church. And so I thought, oh, okay, well, it's probably going to be the same passage, so that's not going to be too, too much of an extra kind of change for me. Anyway, I got in touch with Jonathan, the, uh, the, the lead pastor there, and it turns out they weren't doing Luke at all. Uh, they were um, halfway through get this, a 10-part series on the gifts of the Spirit from 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. 10-part series. I don't think I'd ever experienced any more than perhaps a one-part series with maybe a questionnaire at the end, at least up until this point. And, and something that you should probably know about my my background is that growing up, uh, up until that point, I I honestly didn't know what to think about all that charismatic stuff. I, 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 kind of, I, I think I inherited this belief that, that the Holy Spirit's job was to, to, to help me with my own salvation, to kind of regenerate my heart so I could have faith in Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit convicted me of sin. The Holy Spirit helped me to understand the Bible. And of course, all that is true. <laughs> but then beyond that, I don't know to be honest I was pretty skeptical. You know you kind of I heard all these sort of stories and I'm like uh, not really sure what I should think about that. But then out of nowhere here I am right in the middle of a, of a series which is promoting not promoting but encouraging us that actually this is the way that God wants to build up his church these gifts are uh, uh, the way that he's doing that in his people today. Uh, and so I, I'm a people pleaser. I don't like to kind of cause conflict unnecessarily. And so I decided in order to kind of make sure at least that I'm not going to undermine all the other five sermons that came before this, I, I thought I'd, I'd in the days leading up to it, I'd listen to all of them. Uh, and they're all quite long, actually. Uh, but anyway, I was listening through them all, and I gave my sermon uh, and then i was I was hooked, and so I listened to the remaining remaining four and by the end, I can honestly say that God completely changed my mind on this, and, and i 'm not exaggerating either that 's literally what I wrote to Jonathan in an email after the service uh, after the series finished. God had completely changed my mind on this entirely in the space of one month. I had gone from essentially a, a a cessationist, though, who didn't really think it through anyway, to so now someone who could confidently say, if this is how God gave him of himself to build up the church, who was I to say that I didn't know what God that God didn't know what he was doing? And if this is true and these gifts are available today, and, and that that he says in, in chapter 14, eagerly desire the greater gifts, like zealously desire that, then I I want that. I want to obey what you want from me, God. I want more of your spirit in my heart. I want more of your spirit in the people around me. I want that to be part of what ministry is all about, God. And from that experience, that one divine interruption, and remember, I was never even supposed to be at this church, at, 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 at that Red Door church, I was meant to be in Williamstown, speaking on Luke 8. And yet from that one divine interruption, Emily and I decided that we wanted to partner with a church in the future that not only believed that the spiritual gifts existed today, but that eagerly encouraged them and wanted to pursue them and wanted to see God at work in his church by the Spirit, seeing these gifts, ministering to one another in love. And so here we are. We're at Deep Creek, all thanks to a divine interruption. And so thinking about the future, of course we should, we should plan, we should use our own wisdom in what we think we are, we are to do. But I want us to plan with the expectation that God can and will interrupt those plans if he wants to. So let's be leaning into the spirit and let's be discerning what those doors might be, what those opportunities might be, because they might completely change your life. Or they might completely change the life of somebody else that comes into your path. Well, next, we've been thinking about finances and the future. The next thing, Paul describes three people in his spiritual family. Uh, all of whom are connected into the Corinthian church in one way or another. So we've got family. We've got Timothy, Apollos, and Stephanas. And what strikes me here is the ways, the different ways in which uh, Paul uh, relates to each of them. I uh, love the way that, uh, that John Stott summarises these, and so I'm borrowing his terminology here. Uh, He says, Timothy needed reassurance. Apollos needed to be given time. And Stephanas needed appropriate recognition. Timothy needed recognition. Uh, We can see from what Paul writes in these verses that that he is clearly worried about the way that these Corinthians are going to treat Timothy when he arrives. Like, Listen, he he says, make sure Timothy has nothing to fear when he is with you. Don't treat him with contempt. In other words, don't bully him. And when he leaves, let him leave in peace. That's pretty full on. I, I, I would be quite worried at going to a place if someone kind of preempted my arrival with those sorts of words. And we're not really sure why Paul expected Timothy to be potentially received so poorly um, it, it could, it could be. I mean, people have all sorts of different ideas on this. It, it could be something as simple as the fact that we know right from the start of our series that there was major divisions in the church. There was people following Paul, people following Apollos and Cephas and and Christ. And so, because Timothy is described by Paul as his son in the faith back in chapter four, it's possible that maybe they thought, well, you know, Timothy, he's you know, he's basically Paul. So let's you know, let's let's get him. I, I don't, I don't, we don't know. But in any case, the Corinthians are to treat Timothy with respect and reassurance as he is carrying on the work of the Lord. He's on their their side. I wonder if there's someone here at Deep Creek that, or maybe even from a church that you've been part of in the past, is there someone that you need to reassure? Perhaps it was someone that you didn't treat well in the past, and maybe you've always had that thing in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't said those words to them or I wish I hadn't treated them in that way. Maybe you know someone who's just feeling a bit disheartened. If God brings someone to mind, I encourage you to write that down, write it in your phone and get in touch with them this week. Or if they're here, maybe not too kind of you know, suspiciously, but just get in touch with them and just say, like, I, w- I want to reassure you, I want to encourage you. because Timothy needed reassurance. Apollos, he needed to be given time. Now, even though, as I mentioned just before, the the Corinthians seem to to pit all these different people against each other, there was Paul and there was Apollos and there was others, Paul sees Apollos as his brother. He says that in this chapter. Uh, And he doesn't say why, and so I'm not going to try and guess, but, but Paul really wants Apollos to go back to Corinth, to visit this church again. And Paul strongly encourages Apollos to do this. And Apollos says, no. Or at least he says, not yet. And what I love here is that Paul gives Apollos time. That's what he needed. Paul knows that Apollos will go when the time is right But in the meantime, he will be patient with him. Is there someone that you need to give time today? There's always so many things going on in our church, and maybe you're feeling nagged to get back involved with something that you used to be involved with, or or maybe you're in a a period of significant flux and, and, and shifting in your life circumstances, and so... Like you want to say yes to something, but like it's just it's just not the right time. Well, like Paul, let's be willing to give people time and trust that God has that situation or that relationship held in His hands and in His timing. Apollos needed to be given time, and Stephanus needed appropriate recognition. Uh, Stephanus and his family, they held a special place in Paul's heart. Uh, Back in chapter 1, we heard that Paul was involved in their own conversion and baptism. What a wonderful privilege to Paul. And they were a family in this church that was just gold. Like Paul says in in, in these verses that they refreshed his spirit and theirs also. See, these guys, they were the original refreshing faith Christians. And it's wonderful that we at, at Deep Creek, like that's our, that's our motto. That's what we're on about. We are refreshing faith Christians too. And I'm sure you've met people like Stephanus. They're wonderful. They, they serve others. They work hard. They do things diligently. They see a need and they fill it. And they do it cheerfully and with love. They don't seek credit. They don't seek glory. They build up the church. And Paul says in verse 18 that such people deserve recognition. One of the wonderful things that I've experienced since coming here at, to Deep Creek is that I've got to meet a whole bunch of Stephanas, Uh You can tell me it's a Stephanoi, uh, Andrew. Anyway, whatever, whatever the plural of is, I've got to meet a whole bunch of them. And, and if you've been to other churches, right, um, like every church has, a, has at least a handful of stephanuses okay, uh, which is wonderful. But I have, I've just experienced such a, an overflow of blessing. There are so many of you here who are just remarkable. Uh, and so you guys re- refresh my faith, you refresh the faith of others, and we want to give you recognition, we want to give you thanks for all of the way that you build up this place. And as you're reading through these annual reports... Oh, there's just so many, there's so many names, there's so many things that are going on. And so I want to encourage you, if someone particularly has encouraged you, if someone has refreshed your own faith, then go out of your way to thank them. Maybe there's someone who even just in little ways, like I just love the way you always smile at me, it just makes me feel so welcome in this place. Whatever that might be, go out of your way to give someone recognition for what they do, for what they contribute to this place. Finances, future, family, and finally, fortification. I needed need to find a word that started with F. Paul offers some final words of fortification, of strengthening, of building up for the church. And as I was preparing for today, I got the sense that each of us here today need to be fortified, need to be built up in at least one of these areas. And so as we briefly go through these now, I want to encourage you to lean into the spirit and take hold of the one that you most need right now. It's an action-packed couple of verses. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. For some of us, God is saying to you, be on your guard. Be on your guard. This is a word that calls us to be alert, to be awake, to watch out, be careful, be vigilant, often in the face of something harmful. And if you've been with us for this 1 Corinthians journey, we know that the things that are most in mind for Paul, uh, he's calling them to be on their guard against the values that creep in from the world around them. Watch out for the distractions already in our lives. Be alert so that you don't get pulled away from experiencing the fullness of what God offers to us. Be on your guard against anything that might hinder your relationship with Christ. And for some of us, that's what you need today. You need God's help to be on your guard. God is saying to some of you, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm, hold your ground. And when he says stand firm in the faith, he's not just calling us to honour our set of of doctrine or our beliefs and things, Uh, it's... It's it's to persevere in living in a way that is consistent with that faith. And some of us here need God's help in this. Maybe you're just at a point where you just just need his help. Spirit, I need the power to enable me to stand firm in my faith and not walk away. Spirit, enable me to live differently in my day-to-day life. For some of you, God is saying, be courageous. Be courageous. The, the original word here, literally says, be manly or man up. And so, so gents, if you're not sure which one uh, applies to you, just, just claim this one, I think. Man up. But but of course, uh, the way it's used in the New Testament, it's not just applying to men. It's, it's, it's describing someone who exhibits courage or boldness in the face of danger. And some of us here, Are facing dangers or difficulties because of our faith. Others of us simply feel timid or shy. And if that's you, God wants to empower you by His Spirit to be courageous, to be bold in the face of opposition. Be courageous. God is saying to some of you be strengthened. Our Bible translations of this word um, often say be strong. Uh, but this word is actually a, a passive imperative in the Greek. Uh, and, and this is significant because I don't know if you know, I, I, I always forget about English language and stuff until I actually had to try and learn Greek, and then I realized suddenly English makes more sense to me. But uh, the thing about a passive verb is that these are things that, are often, done, that often happen to you rather than things that you do yourself. I'll give you an example. I ate a fish. I ate a fish. Now, that is an active verb. If I make that a passive verse, a verb, I was eaten by a fish. Kind of changes the meaning a fair bit, doesn't it? I was eaten by a fish. And if you think about it, in one sense, it's a bit strange that that Paul should be commanding a passive verb. I I mean, it would be a bit like him saying, like, uh, be, be called, be phoned by your mum. <laughs> like, it, you know, it's, it's, it's something that... <laughs> or, or actually one example that he does actually use in Ephesians 5 is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. He doesn't say fill yourself with the Spirit. He says be filled with the Spirit. H- how, how do we obey that kind of command? Well, imagine that you are on a sailing boat. You're bobbing around on a lake. And uh, Bruce was here last week. He was telling us about the, uh, the, the glorious sailing race, the America's Cup. And so I thought I'd keep this theme going. Now, a sailing boat is powered by a force that is very strong and abundantly available to it. But this boat can't power itself. And so what the boat needs to do, what the sailors need to do is unfurl its sails, open itself up and let the wind do its empowering work on the boat. And so when Paul says here, be strengthened, I feel like he's saying this is not something that we do, we don't strengthen ourselves, we're almost like powerless to be able to muster up this kind of strength. This is something that God can do powerfully in us. He is the one who strengthens us and he freely offers us his spirit to do this work in our hearts. And so if you feel weak, if you feel weary, if you feel powerless today, God is inviting you to unfurl your sails. Draw on the bountiful resources available to you, the abundant power available to you, In the spirit, be strengthened by me, he says. And some of you need this more than anything today. And as we each call upon our loving God to empower us for what we need, he calls us to live in that same love to one another. Do everything in love, he concludes. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strengthened. Do everything in love. We're going to sing in a moment. Uh, and and as, we, as we are singing, uh, we're going to hand around uh, the communion elements. I encourage you to hang on to them until a little bit later in the service. But before we we sing together, I want to encourage us, in a moment of silence, let's bring before God one one of these five things. What do you need most from God today? Invite him in to work in your life. And I believe that he will do just that.